Hello, and welcome to Rescuing Churches with Stan and Josh Gibbons. This is the official podcast of 614 Ministries, where we exist to renew vision and restore hope at struggling churches across the country. With over 80% of churches in decline and 1,500 pastors a month battling depression, we strive to equip members and encourage ministers to pursue new directions of stability and growth. Yes, and welcome back to The Great Adventure of Rescuing Churches, where life in the ministry is always an adventure. Always. Uh, this is the official podcast of 614 Ministries. I'm your host, Josh Givens, joined by 614 Executive Director, my father, Stan Givens. Dad. Hello. Thanks for being here today, Dad. Always glad. So, okay, when you're a pastor's kid, especially when you've been one for as many years as I have... You come to learn a whole lot of things about church life and ministry life that can just be annoying or really, really, really tedious. Uh, just the little things that tick your dad off. You're saying that I murmur at home sometimes? Maybe. A maybe, little bit. Maybe. Right? I mean, are there any other PKs out there listening to this? Okay. I mean, I mean, am I right about this, guys? <laughs> I mean, you know, there's just little things that get under your dad's skin. So... We all have pet peeves. It's just a human thing. Who doesn't? So today we're going to discuss pastoral pet peeves. I love the alliteration of that. Thanks That's very just much. Fantastic. That's fantastic. I know you did that on purpose. The alliteration <laughs> is just great there. Absolutely. And as we're going through these, if you're a pastor and you're listening, we want to hear from you. Please feel free to send your pastoral pet peeves to 614rebuild at gmail.com. Or if you are one of Pastor Stan's pet peeves, you now know where to send <laughs> the complaint. You know, yeah. The complaint, you know. So I'm just throwing that out All there. Right. Just message us on any of our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All right, Dad. So you've got five. And I mean, you'll I probably have 50. That, well, five yeah. that you'll at least admit to. Yeah, five, five <laughs> that I can recall to mind as we're sitting here. You're at least admitting to five today. Late Sunday afternoon. Let's dive right into these. All right. Coming out at number one on the top, not caring for or knowing enough about the widows in the church. Or your single moms or your needy families. Mm, Um, mm. When a pastor doesn't know a specific need, there's a shepherding issue with that. It drives me crazy. And and you you actually even have a parenthetical here. What color is her couch? What do you mean by that? Uh, Yeah, I just think think that pastors should know their widows. Um, Right. You know, good church work is to care for the widows and the orphans. Um, Good church work means I'm invested in the people that God has sent me, especially those that may have um, high needs, um, may be wounded, may be struggling. And the scriptures makes it real clear in the book of Acts, the widows were an issue. Mm. They had to be cared for. Um, in book of James, he talks about true religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. So, um, I, every year, um, at Valentine's, which is coming up very soon, um, our church will deliver flowers 
to our widows on Valentine's Day. And uh, we have a host of widows at this little church, right. um, six to eight at any given time, sometimes a little more. And uh, we will deliver flowers to them to let them know on Valentine's Day, God was thinking about them. It means the world to do that. Mm. And uh, I've shared with uh, numerous people that I can drive from here to every widow's house without GPS. Right. I know where my widows live. And I'm not bragging about that. I think that's normal. (laughs) I think it's proper. And I've trained my interns to be able to do that. This year, as in last year, Cody will probably take the flowers around to the widows and love on them at their front door uh, and get to know them a little bit and tell them God loves them. And I think it's really important hmm. that that church leaders know their core widows. And how, how would you uh, how would you recommend overcoming that? If you had a church that wasn't doing that, what would your advice be? Well, the churches that typically um, don't do it have two issues. One, they may be a very large church, so your senior pastor, your lead pastor, sure. You know how in the world is he going to learn where the eighty five widows live? Well, that's sure. not. Yeah. He's got to. He's got to do the the. <laughs> smaller teams of people that are caring for those widows and they have to be able to to help with that. But if there's a needy widow in that bunch, mm-hmm. that communication needs to go upline to that pastor and that pastor needs to get out of his office one day a month right. uh, to the best of his ability and go sit on her couch, you know, and eat her little cake that she made you or whatever and right. just get to know her and talk to her. Pastors need to be acquainted with the seniors in the church that are widows and widowers Mm. uh, that are going through difficult times. And with healthy ministry around them, with single moms and the same kind of deal, they need to take guys with them, take ladies from the church with them, and and get to know what the single mom's issues are, what their needy mom's issues are. Um, You know, we have a lady in our church that has a special needs son. Um, And, and, you know, we, we just need to stay on top of that. We can't let that go. Right, And I, it's a pet peeve of mine to find out a pastor has no idea how many widows he has in his church. It's one of the questions I tend to ask him when I get to know him is, how many widows are in your church? Yeah. I don't know. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean you don't know? That's a really important thing to know. Yeah. I don't care if you know the exact number, but can you name them? Yep. More importantly, can you get to their homes? Yep. And some widows are doing fine. There's some people that their husbands left them plenty of money and plenty of whatever, and they're driving nice cars and all that. But you know, a, a widow in need is going to be driving a, a broken down car. They're going to have bad tires, bad windshield wipers. The church ought to be invested in some of that. I know it sounds silly, but it's practical to me. Right. It's really practical to oh, me. And it shows the love of Christ. Yeah, that we take care of our widows well. And uh, and anybody in that sort of category, mm-hmm. we just need to learn to take care of them. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so ringing in at number two here on the, your list of pet peeves is misuse of scripture. Oh my gosh. How have you personally seen this play out or occur in your pastoral years? Well, it's it's more of um and I know the pastors listening can can totally relate, but you're driving down the road listening to somebody's sermon online now. Oh, Used yeah. to it was on the radio. Yeah, yeah. Um, whatever but, those whatever those are. Yeah, now, now, yeah, right, right. Nowadays you just download them and you got some sort of thing that you can play it with, with your car. But you're just listening and somebody is just slaughtering the use of the script. The scripture is not meant to be used the way it's being used. Um and, and it's because they haven't done their homework. They haven't they haven't spent time in the word, understanding the context, the history, mm-hmm. and really the original intent of the meaning of the scriptures. Um, they haven't put that in. They've made a really 
slick and fun talk about this verse, but it's not what they're thinking. Right, right. And uh, it's almost as bad as, you know, the people that use the verse from Matthew. You hear this all the time, Matthew 7, 1, you know, judge not that you be not judged. You right. Know, that's oh, yeah, why yeah. Christians should never judge. Right, right. Well, pay attention, egghead, <laughs> you know, you goober. The rest of the passage, the next four verses or five verses, Jesus is telling you how to judge. Exactly. Take the beam out of your eye before you try to correct the speck in somebody else's eye, yep. which is here's how you judge. Exactly. Jesus isn't saying don't judge. He's actually telling Christians how to be good judges. Right. And so it's that really bad context deal. And, and uh, whether, whether it's, you know, somebody taking some story in the Old Testament way out of context mm-hmm. and trying to make it, you know, walk on all four, we used to call it in Bible college, you try to make this text walk on all fours and yeah. it wasn't meant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, or whether it's, whether it's somebody just, you know, using a verse in the New Testament that doesn't really fit the bill. Mm. Um, those kind of things as a pastor drive you completely nuts. It's kind of like when you're watching, you know, a Star Wars movie and somebody makes a Star Trek reference in it. It just oh, doesn't God. fit at all. Oh, so yeah. I, I just leave the room. Right, at that exactly. Point. I exactly. don't even know who you are. Yeah. Um, on the tail end of that, let me ask you, as a lead is it pastor of a church, um, how do you handle that if it happens in your own church? I mean, because you've been a, a lead pastor for a while. If you have a guest speaker that uses something out of context, even if they did it by accident or didn't mean to, yeah. How do you fix that? I've never had one so bad I had to correct it in the moment. Right. Um, I have later gone back and said, let me clarify. Um, But I'll give you a simple example. Our youth leader is teaching a a Wednesday night series uh, now Uh um, called Life on Mission. It's a David Platt book. It's really a superb way for a church to learn how to share the gospel outside of the walls of the church in a conversational way. Um, great. It uses three circles. It's brilliantly done. And I wanted our youth pastor to lead this. And he has done a phenomenally good job of leading this. And uh, the other night he talked about how um, God created man perfect, but they fell. Um, and it's just not the best way to say what he was saying. He's 21 or two. I forget how old Josh is, but he's really right. young. Right. He's not been to Bible college. His theology comes from sitting under me for however many years he's been alive at this right. church and, right. and from being in some of our intern classes. And so, so, uh, he didn't need to try to, I didn't need to correct him there. Sure. You know, I just wanted to eventually tell him, um, if God created us perfect, we could not have fallen. Right, you know, but there is a way to say it that's healthier for that, and so sure. we uh, we work through a language test right there with him to help him understand. This is just a better way to think through that in your head, right? Um, better way to word it, yeah. And and the classic that gets used now occasionally is, you know, God can't fellowship with sin. God cannot be in the presence of sin. That's a terrible way to say that if yeah. you read your Bible. The minute <laughs> Adam the sinned, or the Old Testament, <laughs> the original sin where Adam sinned in the Old Testament, God showed up in the garden and had a conversation exactly. with them that was redemptive. Yep. Um, he could have killed them, mm-hmm. especially when Adam just you know lied and you know, made a whole bunch of excuses for himself and really just said, you know, the woman you gave me, it's all your and her fault that this happened. Don't blame me, right? He could have wiped him out. But instead, God actually created a redemptive plan and let Adam live another, you know, 900 years, whatever Adam lived. So so we cannot say that God does not, 
fellowship with darkness. The whole point of Christ coming to this dark, sinful earth hmm. while we were yet sinners, Christ <laughs> died for that us. That was the whole point. <laughs> yeah, so we just have to be careful how we say things like that. Yeah, I agree. That's good. And that's good advice for all of us. Um not just for youth pastors, but for everybody. everybody. <laughs> uh, Regan in at number three here, failing to preach the cross regularly. Why do you think that this is common? And and man, if if anybody, I mean, I, I've been your son for long enough to know how much passion you have for grace and the cross um, and, and, and the, the preaching of the cross. Um, why do you think that this is common? Failing to preach the cross is common among some pastors in today's ministry culture. I think we get away from it because we're trying to cover so many other bases and we got other ideas in our head of what our church needs. Um, we we read scriptures that focus in some sort of area we're trying to correct people in. Um, but no matter what, we have to get back to the the point of of all of our preaching is to elevate the cross. Our whole ministry, 614, is built off of my life, verse 614. Um, God forbid that I should boast. Galatians 614. Did I, what did I say? Just 614. Oh, yeah, it's Galatians. There's a lot of 614s out there. Galatians 614. (laughs) You know, Paul says, far be it from me to boast except in the the cross cross of Christ, Christ, you know, for which the world was crucified unto me and I unto it. So, so. Far be it from me to boast in anything. So whatever I'm teaching on, if I can bring Calvary back to it. I remember talking with a, a gentleman several years ago about a church he was he'd been attending for almost 25 years. And it had been in decline and struggling for a while. And he's a good close friend. We've known each other for many, many years. And it was a church I was familiar with. I understood uh, the church and had been there myself for a while. And he was asking me about, you know, I was asking about his spiritual needs and those kind of things. As we talked, um, he was telling me that, you know, Sunday was flat to him. And so I just said, let me ask you this. When's the last time your pastor preached on the cross or brought the cross into a message? And what was happening is this teacher was exegeting a ton of scriptures all through the New Testament without ever emphasizing the cross itself. He would mention the cross if it was in the text and then use it sort of intellectually to tie to the other stuff. But it was never mm. it was never taught as this passionate moment where everything changed for the whole world, especially right. me personally, right. where my sins were paid for and I now have the opportunity to be in fellowship with God Almighty, creator of the universe, um, because Jesus was willing to die for my sins. He loved me enough to die for my sins. And and when this guy went back, he literally went back, and back then it was listening to cassette tapes, but he went back and he listened. He said, man, I've listened to about three years, and I don't think we ever talk about the cross in that terminology. Mm-hmm. We talk about it as a, as a theological event, but we don't he never talks about it as a passionate reality of historical moment that was personal to me and i'm like well read paul's letters right <laughs> and right. it's crystal clear when you get there it's very personal to paul you know paul was a violent aggressor and then the grace and mercy of god came to him when jesus saved him well how did he do that he died on the cross for him far be it from paul to 
boast in anything but the cross. And he actually says, our pre- Paul says, our preaching should exalt the cross. How do you how do you do that? If if you're if you are a church that has fallen away from, just real quick, what would you say? If you're a church that's fallen away from preaching the cross regularly. How do you return to that? Every story in the Bible is tied to, to the Calvary. Mm-hmm. The whole point of the Bible gets you to a sinful person uh, underneath a sovereign God who had a loving son and who died for us to pay for that and gives us the opportunity to change the trajectory of our lives. Every story, the story of Adam and Eve uh, and Adam's sin has that. Uh, the story of Abraham, Noah, you can pick anywhere in the Bible and you can get it. You just, you got to spend a little more time. Right. You got to actually dive in and go for right. it. It's not going to happen if you're, you know, trying to just watch a 10 minutes of Lou Giglio and get inspired. Right. You know, if you're going online and trying to get Matt Chandler to give you five minutes of a sermon so you can create a 30 minute sermon, yeah. you're going to have to get in your word, read the scriptures yourself, ask God for wisdom and let it attach. You know, let yourself get attached to the scriptures to understand what the writers are saying. Every New Testament and Old Testament writer is is all about the redemptive work of Christ. That's good. That's really good. Um, so ringing in at number four on the list of pastoral pet peeves uh, for you personally is failing to preach depravity regularly. So we so we had failing to preach the cross. Now we have failing to preach depravity. How, how can a pastor do this. I remember when I, when I first looked at your list here and saw this, this is the first thing that went off in my head. How do you do this without it kind of being like a bad over the head moment? You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Cause, cause, cause you know, you're going to have some people that are going to be like, man, this pastor preaches on depravity a lot, <laughs> you know, but, but, but we do need a bad over the head a lot. <laughs> I mean, seriously, especially I think the American culture and the Americans, we get full, a good of, point. we get full of ourselves and think we're okay because yep. we have no needs. There's this terrifying passage in, in Revelation where the angel of the Lord is speaking to this one church and says, you think you're rich and and you have no needs. In reality, you're naked and you're blind and you're in desperate need of me. Hmm. But you've come to this place where you think you're not. And, and I think it's important that we understand our full depravity all the time, that we are wretched sinners far from God, and He had to do a crazy work to manifest Himself to us and us to see Him. He loved us first. Uh, We love Him because He first loved us, and we have to come back to this place uh, where we we can see that. And ultimately, uh, we are our culture is driven to say man is basically good. Man's going to get better we're all working through this and the world is getting better all the time. That is not true. <laughs> Man is sinful. Man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Absolutely. Jeremiah 17, 9. Mark chapter 7 says, when I look into a man's heart, I see Jesus says, when I examine your heart, do a heart exam, I don't see you know the four chambers and whether or not you got good blood flow. No, here's right. what I see. I see murders, lasciviousness, lust, corruption, deception. I see all this terrible, sinful stuff in you because that's what's in every single heart, in every single church, in every single Sunday. (laughs) The pastor's heart's full of that same stuff. David's heart was full of that same stuff. That's why he could sin. His heart was deceitful. It deceived him. He didn't, David didn't think he was a bad guy that could do murders, but he could. Mm. Now there's redemption in all that, but we have to do that. Paul, greatest apostle you're ever going to hear about for all that he's done, 
The Apostle Paul, when he brags about what God's done for him, always says, but I am the chief of all sinners. He goes back to his sinful depravity and goes, man, I'm a mess. Right. That God's doing an awesome he, work, he awesome work of grace, and he knows so where he came from. I think the pulpit should do that a lot more. I think we got to quit trying to do these. Everybody needs to feel better. Mm. I think everybody needs to feel bad mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> about who they are till God does the work, and then you can feel good, right, about God doing a work in somebody that was really bad, right, and that and that points you towards Christ, and, towards and you don't have to wallow in your self pity of who you were in the past and all that, but you have to recognize it, yeah, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to realize that, and you have to remember real. it. I think it's yeah. important to remember what a mess. Yeah. I agree. I agree. We had a great guy this morning. Ian did a great job this morning giving his testimony. And he said, as he gave his testimony, I don't want to glorify my past, but he talked about all the stuff he's been through in his past, mm-hmm. you know, and then how God's done this amazing work that's brought him to this new place in life once he became a Christian. Yeah. And it's exciting to see that. But he had to, he has to understand, totally depraved, yep. <laughs> redeemed by the grace of God, now I get to walk new. Yeah, that's really good. So number five here, a lack of humility in a minister. And I know that you've seen and experienced some of this in your years of working with different pastors and leaders and interns, all the years that you've been in the ministry, um, different churches and different staffs that you've served on. Why do you believe that humility is so critical in the life of pastoral leadership? Uh, Real simply, as we wrap this out, pride goes before the fall. Right. And... The Bible says God gives grace to the humble. James chapter 4, he gives grace to the humble, and he resists the proud. The word in the original language there, resist, is to set an army against it. Hmm. It's what you do when you resist something in that terminology. So God puts an army pressing back on a guy that's got got, uh, pride in his life. And I think pastors that are, are not willing to be and I battled this myself. This is a real personal battle. I have a long story sometime we'll tell on the podcast probably of uh, of really thinking I was all that and, and, you know, better than a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I wasn't. I was actually a disaster of a young man trying to be all that, thinking I was all that. And it cost me. It cost me a generation of kids that I was working with, a whole class of kids I was working with. Uh, never respected me, and it taught me a huge lesson. And I have a steel plate in my leg uh, with some screws in it to attach to my ankle. I remember to keep that. my ankle attached to my foot. Definitely remember that. that. Was part of the lesson God was teaching me about humility, and uh, mm. so I just believe we have to we have to love grace enough to say God gives grace to the humble. So, man, I'm staying as humble. Would would that I'm be going back to my depravity roots and remembering? Would that be your advice um, for young ministers who are trying to strive for that humility in their early days of if you've got really young pastors in their 20s and 30s that are trying to make sure that they stay humble? What advice would you give them? Yeah, first of all, just because you understand how a Bible verse. Uh, works grammatically mm-hmm. in the Greek or because you can read the Greek right. or because you understand <laughs> the Bible better than your friends doesn't make you a better person. Right. Ever. Right. Ever. Ever. So get off of that. Yeah. I did it and I shouldn't have and it cost me and it's costing a lot of young ministers really healthy ministry opportunities. Mm-hmm. Just be one of the guys. Just recognize you're as messed up as everybody. When I did the prison ministry, I had to realize when I was in death row at Atmore State Prison, when I'd go down to death row in, there's 15 inmates and two of us. There's 17 people in the room. There were 17 sinners standing in that room. There's no difference in those guys and me when God looks at my heart. Right. And I had to stay in that place to learn the humility. I had to let the Lord teach me through that experience. The, all, those guys don't get to leave at night, and I do. That's the only difference. 
in who how God sees us. Yep. I get to go home. They got to get they locked to, up. They have to stay there. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, this has been very, very helpful and very enlightening. We hope that it's been enlightening for a lot of the pastors that are listening. Um, thanks, Dad, for sharing um, your top five pastoral pet peeves. Um, I know that there probably could have been a whole list even longer than oh, that. Yeah, we still got a podcast <laughs> called Five Things That Bother Me. They're not pet peeves. They just bother me a lot. And tithing just, isn't one of them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Th- things tithing, that members do that bother Tithing didn't even make the list. Wow, look at that. All right. Well, we hope that you've all enjoyed listening to this episode of Rescuing Churches. You can learn more about us at 614ministries.org. As always, keep following us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 614rebuild.